I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We have been going through the Heidelberg Catechism and the uh, preface and the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we come to the first petition of the second half of the Lord's Prayer, if you will, in verse 11 um, today. So, uh, first I would ask you to turn in your hymnals uh, to the Catechism itself, to Lord's Day 50. Somebody asked me last week, and I, I, uh, I should probably take a moment to explain There are 52 Lord's Days in the Catechism, which correspond to the 52 weeks of the year. So if you've ever wondered why it's Lord's Day 49, 50, whatever, uh, it's because it corresponds to the weeks of the year. And originally, all the way back at the Synod of Dort in 1618, 1619, they um, designated that the Catechism was something that would be preached. Uh, And you might you may or may not know or understand why that's the case, because if you think of the Reformation, it was a uh, reawakening and a renewal movement as the gospel uh, was recaptured at the time of the Reformation. And of course, many people were coming out of the darkness of superstition and unbelief and various things. So the Synod of Dort designated the Heidelberg Catechism be preached uh, weekly, Um, And that's why it's broken up into 52 weeks corresponding to the 52 weeks of the year. The idea was that as a pedagogical tool, as a teaching tool, it would instruct people in the basics and the fundamentals of the faith. And that's what we have in the Catechism. We have the fundamentals. It follows the outline of the Book of Romans, sin, salvation, service. Um, It outlines the Apostles' Creed by and large. It talks about the keys of the kingdom as Christian discipline. Um, and uh, preaching of the gospel. It talks about sacraments, and then it goes on to talk about the rule of gratitude and the Ten Commandments, and prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us, and it goes through the Lord's Prayer. So we come to Lord's Day 50. I don't hear any pages turning anymore, so if I could ask the question and have you respond with the answer, what does the fourth petition mean? Give us Very good. All right, let's uh, read the entirety of this section in which the fourth petition is concerned. I'll begin at verse 7 and read through verse 15. And when you pray, Jesus speaking here, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive forgive your trespasses. Three points uh, this morning. First of all, the request, the actual petition. Secondly, the relations. And then thirdly, the reasons for this. So... The request, the relations, and the reasons. So, the request. What is it that we are praying for here? We are praying for daily bread, uh, as is stated in the text, and as our catechism uh, explains it, all our physical needs. Now, uh, I don't think anybody would be so silly or so simple as to say when we pray for our daily bread, we're only praying for bread. Uh, We're not praying for vegetables, we're not praying for meat or anything else. Uh, And we understand that we're praying for all our physical needs. In English, uh, if uh, you are familiar with English grammar, and uh, I am not a grammarian or an expert in the English language by any way, but that you might know, this is called the synecdoche. Thank you. Who said that? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Preston. Synecdoche, which is... Uh, a part for the whole. So when you pray for your daily bread, it is part of the whole, the whole being all our physical needs. So the catechism is simply reflecting that, all right? Uh, A part for the whole. That is, all we are to ask for is what is necessary for each day, our daily bread, right? Not luxuries, all right? Janice Joplin was certainly wrong when she said, oh, Lord, you know, give me a Mercedes Benz. My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends, right? No, we don't pray for luxuries. We don't pray to win the lottery. We don't pray for a million dollars. We're simply to pray for what we need for each day, right, for our uh, daily necessities. We may graciously, uh, God may graciously give them, uh, but it's not for us to ask for them, all right? It's not that anything is wrong with owning a Mercedes-Benz or anything is wrong with owning a car or a nice car, but we don't seek that. God may give it, but that's not what we're praying for here. Jesus is teaching us the basic essential element of prayer is to pray that God would take care of all our physical needs, all right? So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking God, take care of us, all right? Care for our physical needs. Not only the food that goes on our table, but other physical needs um, as well. Now, you might ask, uh, if you're a very good student of the Bible, and you'd have to be a very good student of the Bible, why is Jesus telling us to pray this petition? Why is he telling us to pray for God to supply our physical needs? And the reason you would ask that question is because God has promised to provide our physical needs already. So if he's promised it, why do we have to pray it? And just so you might know this, look at a few passages with me. Look at uh, some passages in the psalm. Psalm 33, for example, all right? God has promised to provide all our physical needs already. Psalm 33, uh, verses 18 and 19, we read, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. God's promise to do that, all right? Or look at Psalm 34, uh, verse 8, the very next psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And verse time, 
10, sorry, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Again, God has promised to provide, right? Or look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verses 18 and 19. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. And, of course, we could turn to other passages which make very similar promises. The point being is that God has promised to provide for his people and not to let them go wanting. And if God has promised that, then why is Jesus telling us to pray that God would provide our daily needs? Well, um, it's pretty simple. By asking God uh, to supply our daily needs, we acknowledge our complete dependence upon him. We acknowledge our complete dependence upon him. We're not trusting in ourselves, and I'll get to this uh, when we get to the third point. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in our own ability. We're not trusting in our own skill, our own talent, our own whatever it is uh, to provide for our physical needs. We're acknowledging our dependence on God, recognizing that God is the one who provides all things. I don't know if you do this, but I grew up in the Bronx, and, uh, you know, if I wanted a quart of milk, I went to the basement, put a quarter in the machine. You did this growing up, right? And out came a quart of milk, right? You tell me milk comes from a cow. You ever drink milk that comes from a cow? It tastes terrible. No, milk out of a container, right? You get in the machine, the basin. Milk doesn't come from a cow. Nobody would want to drink that, right? No, no, no. But when you pour that milk out of a container, right, thank God. Thank God that you have milk to pour on your Cheerios or whatever it is, snap, crackle, pop, right? Thank God because God is the one who gave the cow, who took the cow, who ate the grass, who chewed the cud, who swallowed it all and produced milk that got pasteurized, that got homogenized, that got put in the container, that got delivered to your basement, and for a quarter you can have milk in your cereal, right? Thank God. God did that, right? You didn't do that, right? So we're acknowledging our dependence on him. Jesus in asking us, telling us to pray this petition is teaching us about grace, all right? He's teaching us about grace. A fallen, as fallen sinners, we deserve nothing. What do you deserve from God? What do I deserve from God? If you know you're a sinner, you know that the only thing you deserve from God is an eternity in hell, right? One sin is an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God that deserves an infinite punishment, So what do sinners like you and me deserve? We deserve everlasting, never-ending punishment in the horrors of hell. And yet, God provides. God makes his rain to shine on the just and the unjust. God takes care of every human person. Every breath we take, right, is because God. And so we acknowledge that God, we are dependent on God. We acknowledge God. And as well, Who can pray this prayer? Only Christians can pray this prayer. Only Christians can pray this prayer. We know from elsewhere in the gospel accounts that God does not hear the prayer of sinners. And truth be known, we won't go into this today, there are even things that obscure or block or are impediments to a Christian's prayer. Isaiah says, for example, that he who does not obey the law, his prayers will not be heard. Peter says, live with your wife in understanding so that your prayers will not be hindered. If you have a lousy relationship with your wife, if you are Tarzan and you think she's Jane, God won't hear your prayers, right? Great. You're not offering to be Jane, right? All right, very good. So only Christians can pray this prayer, all right? Secondly, the relations. 
we have a transition here. We said that in the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, you have the preface, Our Father in Heaven, first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, that their focus is Godward. We noted there that uh, we're taught by that that God comes first, God first. And as a preacher, as your pastor, I can never say that enough, all right? God first. God first. God first. It's something that needs to be drilled into our hearts, something that needs to be drummed into our heads. God first. In all things, God comes first, right? So when we pray, it's not just a matter of going to the laundry list. It's not just a matter of uh, bringing others and my concerns to God. We have to pray first that God's name would be hallowed. We have to pray first that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Then, We get to the transition point, petition that we're at here today, all right, uh, of taking care of our own needs. So we transition to man's need, all right, and yet I want you to note that even as we pray for our particular need, give us this day our daily bread, that still serves to glorify God, all right? How does it do that? Well, we pray for material, um, material needs in order to hallow God's name, in order to do his will, in order that by doing his will his kingdom might come and his will would be done on, air, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, all right? So uh, we uh, do that. Uh, so look at verse 33, all right, in Matthew 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we're not self-absorbed, self-focused, just because we've gotten to the second part of the Lord's Prayer, right? We're still asking for material needs in order that we might seek the kingdom first, that we might hallow God's name, that his kingdom might come, that his will would be done, all right? God wants us to acknowledge him as the source of all provision so that we can focus our lives on investing in his kingdom. More on that in the second service. The kingdom is like the parables of the kingdom, which we're going to learn in Matthew chapter 13 uh, this morning. So more on that then, all right? So that we focus our lives on investing in the kingdom. He's promised to provide for our physical needs. Therefore, we don't need to worry about them. We don't need to be preoccupied with them. Let God take care of your physical needs so that you can seek first his kingdom, all right? So... The request, the relations, all right, and the reasons. Our catechism, first of all, points out, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. We are not self-reliant. We are not self-consumed, self-absorbed, self-focused, but neither are we self-reliant. Yesterday at the men's meeting, we uh, paused for a a minor digression, as that teacher is wont to do, by looking at Deuteronomy 8, and I think it's appropriate here as well. If you would turn there with me, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, you'll remember the situation in the book of Deuteronomy, right? God has rescued his people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, okay? And uh, they wandered in the wilderness. They now come to the verge, the border of the promised, uh, promised land. God is going to bring them in. And God is addressing them with particular concerns. And in Deuteronomy 8, he says, Remember, 
remember where your material blessings come from. All right? Read it with me, if you will. The whole commandment that I command you today, verse 1, shall be careful. You should be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God had led you this 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know <clears throat> what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your clothing didn't wear out, your foot didn't swell. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments. Skip down to verse 11, all right? I take it back. Don't skip down to verse 11, all right? Verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, land of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, honey, a land in which you'll eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Remember, they've just been in the wilderness, right? They're living on manna, right? God's saying, hey, look at all these blessings. Look at all this material prosperity you're going to enjoy, right? Look. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good uh, land he has given you. And then verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and rules and statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you eat and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you, led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents, serpents and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant. Now, this is a fascinating thing, and I have to be careful here not to go too far astray, all right? God says, I confirm my covenant by materially blessing you. That's the confirmation of God's covenant, all right? There are blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. God says, I'm going to confirm my covenant by blessing your face off. All these things that you've done without, all these things that you've not known, all these uh, material blessings, water, iron, copper, uh, 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 valleys, have fig tree, pomegranates, all these things I'm going to bless you with. But don't forget who gave them to you. Beware lest you forget the origin of those blessings. And it has been the constant temptation, and that's why this petition is important, right? It's important for you and it's important for me, okay? That we acknowledge our dependence upon God, not ourselves. Because it is the constant temptation when faced with material prosperity and blessing to think of the gift and forget the giver. I said to the men yesterday, now, this is Deuteronomy, right? This is a long, long time ago, hundreds, hundreds of years ago, right? Where is the church that has survived prosperity? There isn't one. 
There isn't one. This is a very serious temptation, which means this is a very serious petition. Praying, give us this day our daily bread, is an acknowledgement that your material possessions, be it bread, a place to lay your head, a metro card, whatever it is, a salary, that ultimately that comes from God. God gave you that. And don't ever forget it. And so we humbly, dependently pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is pertinent for you and me because we live in a time and we live in a nation that has been blessed far above and beyond any other nation on earth. I was talking to my friend on my recent motorcycle trip. I, we were talking about conditions in the church and why things are not so good. I said, why do you think that's so? And he said, prosperity. He said, you know, the United Reformed Churches, when they were formed back in the mid-19th century, 1857, immigrants came from the Netherlands. They came with nothing. I can't tell you how many people, first-generation immigrants, that were in my congregation in Michigan, they said, I came with nothing. I came, the only thing I came with was a bag and what was in my pocket. I had nothing. I came with the hope and a prayer that God would provide. And God has prospered us, and God has blessed us. And I can't tell you how many gazillionaires there are, how many people that have been blessed, how many people are business owners, how many people that have started other businesses. And yet the problem with spiritual decline in the church today, my friend said, and I agree, is prosperity. Focus on the gifts. Forget the giver. And yet we've been warned. Don't you dare think that you did this. I told the men a story. I had a guy come into my study in Michigan years ago, enormously successful, enormously wealthy man. Built, built a business from the ground up. I won't go into the details of it. He sat there in my study. He was having problems in his marriage. He was having problems with substance abuse. And he said to me, I built this business. I started with nothing. I raised it up. I hire 100 people in my, uh, in my business. I make a million dollars a year. I do this. I opened up to Deuteronomy 8 and I said, do you see where you're wrong? God gave you the ability. God gave you the savvy. God gave you the seckle. The knowledge, the wisdom to start a business. I couldn't start a business. God gave it to him. God gave that to you. How dare you sit here and say, I did this by the strength of my hand, by my abilities, by my talent, by my hard work. God gave you those abilities. God gave you that strength. God blessed you. How dare you? You see why this petition is important? Humbly acknowledging our dependence on God. On our knees, saying, God, 
you provide. You take care of me. All that I have, I have received from the hand of my Father in heaven. Second reason. To receive God's physical gifts and not receive his blessing results in those gifts becoming curses. Even Christians must ask God to satisfy, to san- I'm sorry, to sanctify those gifts uh, to us so that we use them, not out of selfish desire and selfish purpose, but that we use them in order that God's name would be hallowed, in order that we're seeking first his kingdom, and that his will would be done in my life, in your life, in our lives, on earth even as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we do acknowledge you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. We acknowledge that you have given us all things freely to enjoy, and we do enjoy them. Grant us also the grace and your Holy Spirit never to wander from the anchor of our dependence upon you. Keep us close, draw us closer, and grant us our daily bread, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.